Joining us now is a man who played his high school baseball at Matter Day High School in Breeze, Illinois, where his number 15 jersey was the first retired number of any sport at Matter Day High School. He was drafted by the New York Mets in the 13th round of the 2005 Major League Baseball draft. He would go on to play eight years in the majors, four with the New York Mets, four with the Blue Jays. Ten years ago, at this very moment, he was getting ready to receive the first of Johan Santana's Sorry, Terry. 134 pitches and route to the first no-hitter in Mets franchise history. It is a pleasure to welcome Josh Tolley to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Josh. How you doing? Hey, thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. And before we get to the no-hitter, we want to talk about your road to the majors. We mentioned in the open about your number being retired at Matter Day. What did your time under Coach Dennis Tram, a man who coached that baseball team for 36 years, mean to you? Yeah, um, I, I mean... He he was an intricate piece outside of my father, obviously, but uh, finding the love for the game. Um, he was a baseball guy. He was, they, I mean, they, you listen. When he spoke, you listened. And I, I think he had some time. Um, I want to say he might have had some time in the minor leagues, but taking his experience and kind of implementing them um, throughout my career. So I knew you grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. What did seeing Mike Matheny and Yadier Molina mean to you and your love for the position at catcher? Yeah, I mean, that's how I, that's how I found my love for, for catcher was watching Mike Matheny as um, growing up as a kid. That's, that's why I chose that, that in particular position because of him. Um, I, it, was, it never really set in until I played against him as, when, when he was a skipper. And that was like, um, wow, this was my childhood hero, and now I'm playing against him. So draft day, 2005, a little crazy for you. You watched it back in the day on the internet. You had like 50 people at your house for a a draft party. You were pretty sure you're going to be taken by the Marlins in the 12th round. Can you pick up the story from there? Yeah, um, the the Marlins called me in the eighth round. And said, hey, you know, we're looking here in the next couple of rounds to take you. I said, okay, we'll, let's get the numbers right and the deal will be done. And they passed and they passed and they passed and they passed. And um, I had called the Cardinals scout because the Cardinals had interest. And then no, no feedback. I called the Braves scout, no feedback. And then at that moment, I got a call from the Mets. Uh, Quincy Boyd called me, who was my scout. And um, – so we're going to take you with the next pick. And that was that the rest is history. It's interesting because the Mets took three catchers that day report to the gold coast Mets in the rookie league, where your first manager is Gary Carter, one of the greatest catchers of all time. You make your way up the Mets minor league um, ladder. Um, some of the other managers include Donovan Mitchell, who I saw last night and we were talking about it. Uh, Timmy Tuffle, Max Alvarez and, and Ken Oberkfeld. Which manager or coach or even player had the greatest impact on your road to the majors and why? Well, I, I, I'm going to say probably two of them. Um, Tim Tuffle had an intricate piece to fighting for me to, to continue to, to get me to a full season team. Um, Bob Nadel, who is the catching coordinator for the Mets now, was another guy. Those are two influential pieces throughout my career of guys that have like pounded the table for me. And um, again, and I, I feel like I got to the big leagues partially because of the, their pres- like they, they were so persistent on getting me to a, to a full season team. And had that not happened, who knows? 
another guy who championed your cause because he he saw you know the potential in your catching skills in spring training of 2009 was Darren Wathen. Um, August 31st, 2009, you're called up to the major leagues. How did you find that you were going up to the major leagues, and what do you remember about that day? Yeah, I was in Akron. I was in Akron, Ohio. Uh, I was in Double A with the Mets at the time, and we were in Akron playing. And it was September call-ups. They had to protect me on the roster. There was a lot of moving parts. Um, Marco Oliveros was the skipper and pulled me behind the cage, told me that um, that he's going to take me out. I was in the lineup, told me he's going to take me out of the game because I missed curfew. Well, my family was in town, and I said, like, I don't think, Skip, like, we haven't had a curfew check all year, but you got to do what you got to do. And then he kind of played it off for about – three or four minutes. And then he told me, I'm just kidding. You're coming out of the game because you're going to Colorado to meet the team. So that was my, uh, that was my the moment that I got told. And there's a day that I'll never forget of um, hurrying to buy a suit and then hopping on an airplane. It's amazing. I always love the stories of how managers break the news. That's awesome. You broke curfew. So Thursday, September 3rd, 2009, Mets manager at the time, Jerry Manuel, pencils you into the starting lineup for the first time ever, catching Pat Mish at Coors Field. Uh, you get your first hit as well. And, and miraculously, in your first game, the you know first of your two career stolen bases. Uh, right. What are your memories of that day? Um, intimidated. It was it was intimidating. You stand in front of all these people, and it's like the, the dream has come true. Um, Greg Gibson was the home plate umpire. I, I I give him a lot of credit. He got me through the game. He was the one behind me saying, "Kid, calm your nerves. Calm down. You're all right." Um, I built a cool relationship with him because of that. Um, again, I it, it's just it's one of those things that like you can't you can't write about. You can't talk about it. It's like it's just a it's kind of a feeling that you have inside and it's getting my first hit and then stealing was like, I mean, that was, that in itself was, it was a feat. Um, I did have a double that game off of Joe Bimel, which is something that I, I will too, will never forget to dead center field. Um, just these little small nuances. And then obviously getting the win Pat, Pat Mish. I, I want to say that was Pat Mish's first win. We're going to segue pretty quickly into talking about the Santana no hitter. But I want to ask you a couple of other questions about your parts of your career. This is probably your place in and you raise them. So Mark alluded to Dan Worthen's assessment of your caching skills. And one of them apparently was your ability to catch the knuckleball, or at least Ari Dickies. So in Toronto, after both of you were traded there, you became his personal catcher. So two questions based on that. What's the trick in catching a knuckleball? And how do you feel having been somebody's personal catcher? Yeah, okay. So I'll take the first one first. The trick to catching the knuckleball is when you can there, – there's obviously some skill stuff you can do, but when as a catcher, when you can just take a deep breath and understand you're going to lead the league in pass balls every year, that's kind of the trick to catching the knuckleball because you are. You're going you're gonna to lead the league, and when you can come to grips with it, you're good. Um, the personal catcher conversation, like, hey, I was fortunate. It got me some major league service time. Um, I was able to make a living doing it. It, it was, it was much harder than I think a lot of people think that it is though. Um, playing once every five days, not seeing at bats for four or five days and then going out there, then you sprinkle in an off day or a rain out. Now it's six or seven days. So I think 
that was the hardest thing offensively was for me to adjust that way. Second question. So among the stops you made at the tail end of your career was in the Atlantic League with the New Britain Bees. And our friend Wally Backman, the former New York Met, managed that club. Did Wally play any role in your signing? And did he suggest you to believe that playing independent ball was a ticket back to a major league organization, which of course happened 17 games later? That's exactly what happened. Wally Backman called me and said, dude, you can still play. Let's go. Partially, I think it was because he needed a catcher. But the other part of it was he, he says, I can get you back into affiliated baseball. Come play in the Atlantic League for me, and let's see how it goes. And I got myself in shape in about a week or so, and then I went uh, went out there. But Wally is somebody, too, from a baseball mind, he's been very influential. Like, I talk to Wally frequently because we just talk the game. And that's something that – that he's he plays a vital role in that for me is – understanding if I see a situation I don't know I go to Wally and Wally knows it yeah we AJ and I see Wally at least uh once or twice every one of the Ducks homestands so it's uh you know and he has one of those great baseball minds just like Buck Showalter with the Mets so let's let's turn the clock back to 2012 uh May 9th 2012 you're placed on the seven-day disabled list after suffering a concussion and plate collision with former Met Ty Wigington June 1st you're reactivated and you're in the lineup uh, catching Johan Santana against the St. Louis Cardinals. As a catcher coming back from a concussion, that first game, are there any apprehensions at all? Are you thinking about the concussion? No, I, I, was, I was 100% ready. I had rehabbed enough. Uh, mind was free and clear. I had no, no symptoms after that. Um, you don't think about that as a player. It's kind of something that doesn't go through your mind. Um, it's more you probably don't think about it until something happens again, but um, you, you, you just go out there and, and you play. That's, that's what you do. It's no different. You break your hand. You're not going to figure out if wait to see if you get your hand hit again. It's kind of the same, same concept. So I'm a lifelong Met fan. I'm 62 years old. I've seen all of the great Met pitchers pitch Seaver, Kuzman, Matlack, Doc. You always got a sense early on that a guy had plus stuff that night and you, you watching game and you think, wow, this might be it. Even with Jake lately, um, you know, watching that game early on, if I, if my memory serves me correctly in the first five innings, I think Johan only had, two, one, two, three innings. He walked back-to-back batters in the second. At any point early on, did you sense this could be something special? No, not early on. You, it, it, It's something that, like, I, I refer to it as you – it didn't really hit me until probably about the seventh inning. Early on, it was just the normal Johan going out, commanding the ball, you know, missed a few spots. Um, it was nothing nothing – overpowering nothing that really stood out um you know leading into the game the bullpen wasn't that great um so there was a lot of pieces it just felt like another game until about the seventh so former new york met calls beltran leads off the sixth inning with a line drive down the left field line it appears to strike the uh, chalk line in front of umpire adrian johnson instead johnson signals foul ball cardinals third base coach um you know, a uh, former Met, Jose Aquindo, and the manager, the guy who inspired you to be a catcher, Mike Matheny, argues to no avail. What's your vantage point and, and what's your first reaction off of the bat? The ball came off so hot. You just jump up and hope, hope it's foul. 
He, I mean, it, it, I, I said this the other day on a show was you, it, the ball came off so hot and so hard and was curling foul that Adrian Johnson, I, I'm assuming is making his best guess. Um, and you go look at the replay and yeah, it, it, it kind of nicked the chalk line, but that's, that, that's the beauty of the game. That's what it is. Um, we, we call that human error, but like, is that really error? I mean, that we're, we're balls hit 110 miles an hour off the bat right at you. You're just going to make your best guesstimation, right? So I think, um, I think from my perspective, I, I, it just happened so fast. And when AJ called the foul, that was the, that, that was, that was a moment. I mean, those, those are big plays in these no hitters and perfect games. Like, you need you need breaks. You need the chips to kind of fall fall your way sometimes. And that's also what's so cool about baseball because the following inning, a guy you watched growing up um, and somehow miraculously is still playing today, Gary Molina, with one out in the seventh inning, hits that shot to left field. And I remember talking to David Wright about it, and he said, "I still wake up in cold sweats when I hear the name Yadier Molina. This guy's been had a Hall of Fame career and a heck of a career, but I'll be glad when I don't have to hear his name anymore because I was like, here he goes again. He did it again." Whether it's the playoffs or regular season or whatever, it just seems like this guy's always killed us. But on this night, Mike Baxter would have none of that as he caught that ball crashing into the fence, collapsed that on the warning track. What are your what are your thoughts as you see Mike going back, back, back on that ball? Yeah, originally when he hit it, he hit it, he hit it pretty well. And you, you, I mean, you just never know at, at City Field. I mean, the ball could carry carry out ball could hit off the wall, but Bax had a pretty good beat on it. I, I noticed he had a pretty good beat on it. And then um, watching him crumble into the wall and come down, you just hope he held onto the ball and then he didn't get up. And then that's when it set in like, oh man, he, like he, he just hurt himself. And then you find out the severity of it and he's really never been the same player after that play. So there's a pause in the game while Terry Collins and the trainer go out and tend to him. He's really seriously hurt. So concern about his condition aside, what's going through your mind about whether the pause in the game will affect Johan? What do you do to keep him and keep his rhythm going? Sure, that's a good question. That I have to tell you that that is something that never came like I it never I never thought about it, but yeah, there there is a lull in the game. Um I think at that point in the game, though, we were so pitch by pitch. The the best way to do it is is go to the mound, have a conversation. How do we want to start this next guy? How do we want to, how do we want to navigate? How do we want to get him out? Just keeping his mind in the game more than anything. So now we go on to the eighth inning. The pitch count is piling up as a catcher. You know, each inning, are you aware of the pitch count and does it change the way you call the game? No, it, I are aware of the pitch count, but it doesn't, it doesn't have any bearing on how you're going to call the game. Um, especially in a no hitter situation. Now, if, if you didn't have that on the line, maybe a little bit, but I, I knew that the, I knew the, the pitch count was the issue. Um, but again, that was for Dan and Terry and uh, Johan to sort out. And my job was to get them one hitter at a time and just keep the line moving for them. The craziness also is if you go back and look at this, all right. So you get through the eighth inning, the bottom of the eighth inning, both you and Johan have to hit. I'm wondering does the ability to go up and hit take your mind off and give you that little pause 
to like stop thinking about the no hitter or when you're at bat is all you're thinking about is the next three batters up next inning. That's I was trying to find a way to navigate the next three hitters. That's exactly what it was. Me personally, it was, I couldn't get to the ninth inning fast enough in that game. (laughs) So ninth inning, Matt Holiday leads off, swings at the first pitch, which is great for Johan. Soft liner to shallow center. Andres Torres gets a good jump on it. First out. Alan Craig hits a 2-2 changeup to Kirk Newenice. Also gets a great jump on it and left. So first two outs, running catches in the outfield. Both of those were like edge of your seat moments because yeah. those balls could have really dropped in. So now the only thing standing between Johan and history is the third batter who just happened to be the reigning World Series MVP, David Freeze. Oh, yeah. And the guy sitting on deck is Yadier Yermolina, who had that shot to Baxter earlier in the game. As it's 3-0, like, are you thinking, all right, we really need to get Freeze because I don't want Yadi up in this spot? Or were you even, were you even aware that Yadi's on deck? You, you know exactly who's on deck. I mean, it, it, absolutely that goes through your mind. But the thought is of like, we're, we're getting to the point in the pitch count thing where like, how much longer can we extend? And then to, to, to start 3-0, I mean, we were, we're given our best pitch that we can throw a strike with and hopefully get some and do some weak contact. And having that, um, having the change up that night as the game developed to really like have a good feel for it, Felt much much confident coming back from 3-0. But for him to execute all three was just outstanding. So you, you catch the final pitch. You turn around to Gary Seeds from the home plate umpire to show him you caught the ball before you join the celebration. So do you remember what he said? And did he have any reaction to having umpire to no-hitter? No. He, I, that's, that's, that, too, is a good question. No, no, there was no – I want to say he just like said like great job tonight and that was it. I I kind of I, I feel as if I blacked out. I when I went to show him the ball to make sure there was no like funny business like foul tip hit the ground. Not, not, I was like here's the ball. Now I'm going to celebrate. And, and when he signaled the out call, that was that that was the moment where it just like I mean, almost like an out of body experience. What's so cool in baseball is that not only with every no-hitter do we know the pitcher, but every catcher who's caught the no-hitter is always linked. And, you know, you, you talk to everyone that knows every single catcher that caught Nolan Ryan's no-hitter. What's it like for you to be linked to that no-hitter? And, you know, part of Mets history that was celebrated so wonderfully last night. Um, I, you know, I, I said this, I think, um, halfway um, to somebody, I don't remember where it was, but for, for me to have, to do what the Mets did last night and to have that opportunity and to be part of something, a ceremony in your career is always something special, right? With that being said, I, I think the Mets did a wonderful job putting it on and it's, you can never take it away, right? I, I, I say that whether it's anybody that was on the field, Myself, Mike Baxter, anybody that made outstanding plays, anybody that was part of it, you can never take this away to be part of a piece of history like this. And you say the Mets do things right. And, you know, and I never take it for granted that I have the opportunity to be up close and personal and and watch these moments. And, you know, and I'm going to send you some of these pictures, just you and Johan walking off the field, the smiles on both your faces, um, but also the fact that you both stood by as Johan's son 
through the first pitch out to your son catching. Yeah. You know, what did that mean? I, I mean, I, that's going the extra mile. <laughs> that's the extra mile. When, when Jay Horowitz called and asked if um, kind of told me what the plan was and if I wanted to catch it or my oldest son, it's a no brainer. I mean, truly a no brainer. Um, I, I don't know. Again, there's no words that can describe it. Nobody it, to watch my son stand behind home plate where I stood to be able to catch a first pitch from a hall of famers son. Like how special. Um, it was really neat that yes, it was about the no hitter, but you know what the Mets did such a great job with. They made it about the families because at the end of the day, those are the ones that have sacrificed for all of this. So um, hats off to the Mets for doing that. And again, having the opportunity to have my kids on the field was I, I, I get goosebumps. I mean, makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Not only catch the ball, but moving far to his left and smothering it. It was a great made catch. A great catch. He actually him. made a great catch. I, I, I was more nervous for him last night than I ever was in my entire playing career. Lastly, you talk about goosebumps, and, and like I, I, you know, I was standing right behind you, Johan and Terry, when they were showing the tribute on the scoreboard, and I saw the interaction between the three of you going back and forth while the video w- was being shown, and you know, just as you know, watching it. I'm getting goosebumps reliving that moment. What uh, what are the thoughts that are going through your head as you're watching this, you know, tribute on the board 10 years to, you know, minus a day to the day of the no-hitter? Um, what was going through my mind was my three kids, how locked in they were. That's what went through my mind. It was like my kids were like, that was the first time they've ever just stopped to pay attention. Um so to be able to watch that with them and and then listen to the roar of the fans when it's over and my kids going, that was really awesome. That was a great. So I, I think that was that was the moment that, um, that that was going through my head. Josh, thanks so much for your time tonight. Um, obviously, thanks for being part of one of the most amazing nights in City Field history. 10 years ago and again yesterday. Um, we really appreciate you taking out the time, especially today. I'm, I'm sure you're going to be inundated with people calling you. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for having me. We'll, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Uh, I'll send you the pictures from last night. There's some great ones. So um, That'd be great. Thank you. Great catching up with you last night as well. Okay. Yeah, that was great. Thanks, guys. You got Thanks. Josh Totally, former New York Met catcher.